0: Welcome to the Forbidden Technique Podcast with myself, your host Silas Martin, and my co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. <laughs> we're trying to be more consistent again. We're going to see how that goes. Um, I mean, we're not going to talk about that fucking trash fire of a uh, Sao Paulo card, you know? Uh, a uh, main event that was.
1: I just, I just wanted to mention a little but bit, just you
0: it. know, a main event that was already a foregone conclusion and then the guy who everyone thought was going to win won in the most infuriatingly boring version of the, like the thing that everyone knew was going to happen possible. The card kind of just sucked. I had a couple of filthy knockouts, and like seeing Nicholas Dalby uh, shut out a hot new prospect is always fun, but uh, you really want to say some stuff?
1: Yeah, I had, I had the good fortune of being incredibly drunk for the main event. Because I remember I was messaging you like, oh my god, Derek Lewis has the dog in him. He's, he's fighting back.
0: Well, I had the good fortune of falling the fuck asleep watching Kyle Baralho versus Abus Magomedov. Yeah,
1: that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I, I was watching the the fight going crazy because Derek Lewis was doing his absolute best and fighting his heart out, but to no avail. Because he is... A, a, this is going to sound like I'm joking, but I'm only like, I'm I'm being condescending when I say it, but he's the thinking man's fighter because he's always thinking in his fights. He's just thinking about the wrong thing all the time. And and he's very single-minded. He gets focused on like, oh, I just need to land that uppercut. Oh, shit, when he goes for a takedown, I'll just punch him in the back four times and then fall to my ass.
0: You know, what? this is exactly what I thought after the KO over Curtis Blades is uh, people clowning on Derek Lewis for being stupid and relying on one punch to win him a whole fight. And I was like, oh my God, Derek Lewis is a strategic genius for heavyweight. He understands what it is to be a thinking fighter in this division, which is just, uh, I just got to chill and I got to punch this guy extremely hard in the head because I'm Derek Lewis.
1: And people forget that the Taito Ivasa fight was actually a really strong thinking performance by him because it's a terrible matchup for him. Taito Iwasa hits really hard and he hits the body, he kicks the leg, and he pressures. All things that Derek Luce absolutely hates and has lost to multiple times. So he grapples
0: him. He can kind of counter punch as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So he grappled him. And and like walked him back. He imposed his size advantage. It he still lost, but I think it's a hard fight for him.
0: He made it the fifty-fifty it needed to be and it didn't quite pay off. And then for this fight, there was nothing he was gonna do. He went for
1: it against Gilton. It was just terrible and Almeida, I think is the one who deserves the most criticism for the fight because he should have gotten the finish with uh how big of a favorite he was and how people have been rating him so highly.
0: 21 minutes of control time
1: yeah yeah if people were bringing up that as a, a new record for heavyweight but that's a bad record because every other fight that's been on the way to that just gets finished but he he managed to be a particularly bad finisher in the way that he's so skilled that he set a record for how bad of a finisher he is
0: i mean yeah is that better or worse than uh Curtis Blades getting the takedown record against Volkov. Yeah, at least Lee Shelton Shil- but... could uh, could could hold his guy down.
1: Well, that's a bad record, but Volkov is hard to finish. Uh, so I don't think it's as bad because Volkov is a guy that is traditionally very difficult to finish. Even people that beat him soundly still have troubles finishing him. And yet, actually, every single person ever that has beaten Derek Lewis soundly has finished him, except for Jalta Media.
0: I mean, every person who has beaten him has finished it.
1: Yeah, pretty much. He, he's an eminently finishable fighter. Anyone that wins against him is basically going to be the shit out of him.
0: I don't think he's ever lost a decision before this. This, was, this went five rounds.
1: Yeah, and that is a, not a good look. That is, no. That's not impressive at all. So, and, and it's not just because he's always the, oh, the best he's ever been. Maybe, but he's also the most having been finished that he's ever been. He's been knocked out like four or five times.
0: Or, or, like, subbed. Recently got uh, subbed in a round by Sergey Spivak. I don't know. I guess just, like, Derek Lewis is uh, strong and just stayed extremely negative and focused on defense.
1: It just it seemed like a light heavyweight that's been cosplaying as a heavyweight, fighting an actual heavyweight, and then still winning because he's a lot better than him, but getting a moral loss because he didn't finish him because he's not strong enough. Yeah, I think if you put him against people that are... A good amount worse than him But just the same size as Lewis And they'll beat the fucking shit out of him Like Curtis Blades I think that is a terrible fight for Jelton Omeda.
0: What does Curtis Blades do Once he starts out wrestling Jelton?
1: Uh Hits him like twice We haven't seen anything to show us That Jelton is is able to handle adversity For prolonged periods of time We've just seen him
0: so mean some shots, but uh, but yeah, we
1: have seen him a couple shots Because Curtis Blades, not a great finisher, but also Volkov's crazy hard to finish, and Curtis Blades ruined Alistair face. If he can get in a good top position on you, he's going to murder you. But Volkov's, he's like scrappy.
0: Yeah, I don't know. We've already talked enough about this heavyweight trash fire, um, onto the one that we missed last week, because we got to talk about this shit, um. Francis Ngannou basically beat Tyson Fury. Now, we didn't talk about this before it happened because there was basically no reason to expect it to be worth talking about at all. It was just like, oh, yes. It's an MMA fighter fighting a boxer in boxing. We've seen this before. And um, most people think that Big Francis got the job done. I mean, he dropped Tyson Fury. Uh, Tyson Fury came out looking out of shape as fuck and clearly not taking Francis Ngannou seriously. Um, you know, people say, oh, Tyson Fury always looks out of shape. It's like, no, sometimes he looks like an in-shape athletic dude who just has a weird physique. Like, he, he looked out of shape here. And it looked like he was basically just relying on knocking Francis Ngannou out with a single counter right hand, just on the assumption that Francis Ngannou was just not going to have... Um, any built in defense to prevent counterpunching when he himself was actually leading. And that was kind of true, except just Tyson Fury probably just underestimated Francis Ngannou's chin.
1: And his ability to infight and keep himself safe while getting offense off in close. Cause he was bullying Tyson Fury whenever they got close. He was framing on his neck by the end of the fight.
0: Yeah. I, w- I wanted to get to that, but just like in the first, first exchange of the fight, uh, In in Garden presses in, Uh, Tyson blasts him with the right hand, and Francis is just fine. And it's like, oh yeah, Tyson Fury. Like obviously he can crack. He's a big guy, but he's not a one punch KO guy for heavyweight. And pretty much all of his stoppages are attritional stuff. Apart from, you know, like the uppercut on Dylan White is basically the only time he's ever just like one shot someone. And And, and Shin is
1: one of Shin is one of the only things that you can concrete know about a fighter transferring from mma, MMA to boxing like he, yeah. everything else is like oh, i don't really know how the game's gonna work if they're just boxing but with him it's oh we know Nganu has one of the craziest chins in the history of the division so
0: he's probably gonna yeah, be yeah, i think stipe probably hits way harder with a single right hand than tyson fury
1: yeah does. and Nganu uh, is going to be getting hit with big gloves which is probably going to help him a little bit
0: Yeah, and um, I think Tyson Fury was also relying on uh, Francis Ngannou constantly pressing into the clinch um, and them crashing into each other uh, off of exchanges and Tyson Fury being the more seasoned inside fighter as a boxer. Um, but Ngannou, uh, as as you say, was just like way more ready to just get a little bit of space and land a couple of quick little uppercuts and get the fuck out. As we know, Francis Ngannou hits hard as fuck in close and is much more accurate when he just has a tactile feel for where someone is. And he was really getting the better of all of the infighting exchanges, um, which really allowed him to stand his ground and actually be the one uh, pressuring forward for the majority of the fight. And, you know, it's not like Francis came out and suddenly looked like a world-class boxer or anything. He kind of just used fucking sick MMA angles to just befuddle a uh, uh, just unprepared, out-of-shape Tyson Fury who, you know, I would have thought that even Tyson Fury getting off the couch uh, 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 any MMA fighter should be a layup for him, but you know, Francis would mostly just like flash a jab, keep keep something in tyson's face and then just come over with a big overhand or just like a wide shot to the body and um he'd just be ready with that left hook whenever tyson fury was like leading exchanges
1: yeah and it's something i jokingly hit upon on twitter was that it, like remember how for the gone fight he there was a big which leg is injured is it really Injured thing he had going on That he eventually uh It, it amounted to Gon throwing No fucking leg kicks because his coach told him Not to throw leg kicks and, and Gone just completely like Tricked Gon or gone into thinking That uh his legs weren't injured Yeah which they absolutely were Yeah they were 100% injured And he looked the worst he had looked uh, While also putting on his best wrestling Performance ever uh and that was just It was like mind games That he played before the fight I Now that I've seen the fight I think I gotta just looks slow as fuck In his training To fuck with people And like make and, uh, Make Fury think he didn't even have to train as hard Cause if he was coming out Looking like lightning on the pads Then Fury's not dumb He's not going to be like Oh yeah That guy that's in really good Professional athlete shape About to fight me While I'm out of shape I'll just be good enough To deny someone that fucking quick But Ngana looked really slow on the pads So they were probably Just recording him Three hours into a training session When he was already gassed In order to make him look Way slower than he actually is Because he didn't look slow in this fight He, He just looked huge
0: I think he's just one of those guys who also just doesn't look good on the pads. That's a big part
1: of it, too. I think he leaned into it, though, because I've seen him hit pads before and look fine. And then he was all of a sudden, while training for a boxing match, looking the worst on the pads he's ever looked. In uh, in footage that they were openly releasing, it wasn't just stuff that was sneaking through online or, like, random clips. They were posting it on purpose. So there's no way it didn't kind of get in Fury's head thinking, oh, this guy fucking sucks. I'm just going to torch him. But Nganu, he is a genuinely very good strategist. He approached the Stipe 2 fight really well. Even the, the Stepe 1 fight, he didn't have like a bad strategy. He just sucked at that point. And, and gassed from, from reasonably thinking that he hit hard enough to knock out Stepe, And then he hit it with a bunch of shots that would knock out most people. And then it didn't because he didn't like think enough about the shots.
0: It was just a huge experience differential against an all-time great heavyweight. Like, you you can't, I don't think you can take much away from Francis for that and, fight.
1: And the Lewis fight was just really weird and out of character for him uh, because he had, like, a mental breakdown going into the fight. But ever since then, he's been incredibly consistent about coming in with good game plans and good approaches. So we may have underestimated an MMA fighter, but we should not have underestimated as heavily as we did in Gano himself. Because I think if we had done real analysis on the fight, rather than just being like, okay, yeah, the boxer's probably going to torch him, we still would have come to the conclusion, oh, yeah, the boxer's probably going to torch him. But we would have been like, ah, you know, Ngannou has the tools to, like, be annoying, at least.
0: So, yeah, I mean, after all the people saying that Francis fumbled the bag after all the disputes with the UFC, I mean, fumble this bag, I guess. Um... Yeah, and then just
1: drop his nuts on your face. Uh, we, we should have Inghano versus Usyk now because I don't care about Tyson Fury versus Usyk. I want to see Inghano versus Usyk because he's the heavyweight champion of the world.
0: Joshua Wilder. It's just unprecedented an MMA fighter going over to boxing and actually fighting the world champion, the best of a of a generation for many years now. Like pe- people genuinely thinking that that Francis won and you know, the fact that the scores were as close as they are, given the context of everything, and given that it was in Saudi Arabia and they clearly want to keep the Fury-Usyk fight together because even with this, that's just, it's the biggest fight you can make in any combat sport right now. But the fact that it was that close says a lot and the fact that people are even debating it, it's it's a bad look for Tyson Fury, but on the other hand, for Francis Ngannou, it's kind of one of the most remarkable accomplishments in combat sports history. And he has gone from... Being a guy who, you know, people thought was just going to kind of fade away into obscurity after parting ways with the UFC has now made himself like one of the most sought after talents in heavyweight boxing. So Francis is getting motherfucking paid, and that's awesome. Just like what what a success story.
1: Yeah, and then on to a card that is coming up that is uh, kind of really good. We have Jerry uh, Pasco fighting Al Pereira.
0: It's yeah, it's a, it's a weird card, but um I'm I'm down with it. Of course, like we were supposed to have uh John Jones fighting Stipe Miocic in the main event. Uh John Jones has a fucked up peck and can't fight. And Stipe wasn't gonna be hanging around for an interim title fight. So that fight's basically definitely never gonna happen, particularly with this interim interim title fight between Tom Aspinall and Sergei Pavlovich on the card now.
1: I think a I think a lot of us thinking the card's weird is just that it's actually just a good card, uh, which they the UFC has not been known to do recently. Because the card's just flatly good. Uh, some people could criticize, uh, like Pat Sabatini versus Diego Lopez being on the main card, but they're good. You know, I, I'm excited to see that fight. It's
0: it's like a, I mean that's a great fight. I just yeah, it's it's not necessarily a fight that you would. That, that screams like pay-per-view opener yeah the,
1: while watching it people are cr- probably going to be like oh shit this is a good pay-per-view opener uh and, and the cars it's got good fights going all the way down because there's also weirder fights like nazim sadjikov versus vicious Borchev and jared gordon versus mark madsen
0: i mean Tabitha ricci versus Lupi godinez yeah awesome fight we got some prospects fighting
1: that are really interesting in joshua van versus kevin borges but uh, the, the main event, we got Jiri versus Alex. The, the most
0: light heavyweight of light heavyweight fights. Uh, Jiri Prohauska is back, taking on Alex Pereira. I mean, how are you feeling about this one, Christian?
1: I'm thinking that Jiri... Okay, so everyone's expecting Jiri to get left-hooked, which he probably gets left-hooked a couple times in the fight. But when I was watching Jerry's most recent fight and a few of his other fights, uh, in in preparation for this, I was just noticing. I think Ferrer is probably going to crack him with straights way more than the left hook is even going to come up because Jerry's good at keeping an eye on one thing that he thinks you're really going to fuck him up with, and then staying away from it. Uh, because you know people bring up that he got hurt by dominic reyes one thing but no dominic reyes has like three things he just has the one thing that is really hard to counter if you have jerry's style and jerry still defended a lot of the time which is a like a pull left straight people act like he got hurt by every single time dominic reyes did that no no he evaded it a lot of the time
0: walked into a very similar shot from uh vulcan that nearly sat him on his ass as well
1: yeah he's just pull counterable and also overextends on most of his attempts to lead unless he's already landed the first shot or gotten you moving with his first shot. If you just kind of counter everything he throws, you're going to crack him a
0: lot. I mean, he's just a fucking lunatic on the front foot, and it's not that he doesn't try to stay at least defensively aware. There's just a lot of weird, janky, athletic improvisation with what he does defensively, and sometimes he's just so reckless in his aggression that... He'll eat whatever you're going to throw at him yeah. if you're able to just stand your ground and fucking nail him on the chin while he's barreling towards you doing some fucking crazy shit. Um, and he gets hurt all the time doing that kind of stuff.
1: His combination punching really looks like he's chasing a reflex bag because he doesn't really care about his foot positioning. He opens his arms way too wide, throwing hooks to like load up on it and make sure that the timing's right. Because he's focusing way more on actually landing the shots than he is defending anything and someone like Ferreira who can catch and pitch, he can uh, like pull out of the way. He has really good reactions. He, ha- he's able to get in close and rip to the body. He can clinch up. He has just so many things that are absolute poison for Jiri on the front foot. Uh, and if Jiri's going backwards, he's probably getting kicked up and, uh, and bullied a little bit, but where jiri has got, some upside is that when he does get out of the way of something which he'll avail juke some shots he's got a real open uh takedown entry because alex j- just fucking rips shit and then ends up punching across himself and then getting double-egged like eight times
0: against Jan Lovovich. um so if we mentioned the fact that also jerry's probably going to be trying to wrestle really hard as well
1: i think he is likely to get full book of five rings and try and counter his opponent by wrestling him. I think he's going to try and do a Corey Sanhagen performance where he's like, Oh, let me box this guy up a little. Let me tap a couple jabs. Takedown." I, I think he's going to get a takedown at least. And, uh, in a weird way, it's, it's kind of s- similar to the Jan Bloch fight for Pereira where he's someone that is primarily a kickboxer, but he's got some crafty ass submissions. If you like, or caught slipping a little bit he's just not as strong as Blahovic, but i think his cardio is gonna allow him to keep it up for as long as he really needs to or as long as he can safely get to those positions
0: yeah well then jerry's i think Jiri's more notable um advantage over jan Blahovic on the ground is his scrambling when he gets put on his back yeah um, he will repeat repeatedly get put in fight ending positions and then just kind of like find a way out
1: I think he's less heavy on top than Yana and he's way more willing to go for ground and pound offense.
0: Yeah, but I just I just mean um, a lot of that probably not going to come up in this mm-hmm. fight. But yeah, he is just more crazy violent and probably more likely to find ways to end the fight uh, if he is able to get on top consistently. And Alex Pereira is just like he's, not, he's still just not very good at wrestling. He has mostly just relied on just like being huge and being really like hard to be in the clinch with when you're up against the cage. But you can just like shoot on him in open space for free, basically. And Jiri, he is a martial artist. <laughs> he's he's gonna be coming in planning to do that stuff. At the very least, he is going to be showing takedowns early to have that be a threat that Pereira needs to worry about. There's also a chance that he just like gets Pereira to the ground and instantly crushes him. Um you know it's not even like per- like jerry is a really dedicated wrestler and top player it's just a thing that he can and will do when it's the play and it's absolutely the play in this fight I don't know, it sounds like fucking obvious just take down the wrestler and beat him up or just, or just take down the kickboxer and beat him up but like that's jerry's so hittable he needs he, he needs some kind of safety valve and getting things to the ground and getting alex pereira overreactive to a takedown threat is going to be like the, his biggest advantage in that regard
1: and on shot selection alone he actually has a lot of upside if he can get alex Pereira anxious about the takedown because he he shows the takedown before he enters a combination a lot he'll, he'll take a huge dip and either dip under a strike or just show the takedown to get them to huddle up and then rip an uppercut left hook right straight i'll uh, do like uppercut right hook uppercut left hook he, he just he kinda plays with the his shot selection a lot in ways that he can land on prayer. It's not like prayer is um, like immune defensively to, no. to getting fucked up. Honestly, there's something people aren't really giving enough credit to is what if um Pro Asuka just goes up and fucking cracks him really fucking hard with a shot accident like accidentally. He'll be trying to set up a takedown and just fucking murder him with the right straight because Pereira's anxious about a takedown. I, I don't think it's going to happen in the early kickboxing exchanges, but as the fight goes on, I think uh I think that Pereira is more and more likely to start losing instances on the feet.
0: Well, yeah, and it's it's not even just um if the grappling threat has been established. It's also just the fact that Pereira is a massive reach bully um he loves being huge he's long in the tooth uh he he, yeah he is getting up there he got knocked out horribly a couple fights ago um
1: and poroska is a real hitter that is good at striking like you can make fun of him for being kind of goofy all you want or being a madman but he's good whenever shit works oh
0: yeah no he's he he he's a maniac but he's very good at knocking people out he is extremely just uh clear-minded and focused about the most life-ending offense that he can create at any given time in a fight. You know, it's not like he has, like, a like a great boxer's jab or anything, but him just being able to reach out and touch Pereira at his own range, Pereira hates that.
1: Yeah, and, and I've mentioned this before, but if you just watch the last 20 seconds of Prohaska's two knockout wins in the UFC then you'd think he's the best striker that's ever lived because he looks fucking phenomenal because everything he just, he's getting, it's a bit of luck, a bit of skill, but he's just flowing and he does a gorgeous setup to a spinning elbow on Dominic Reyes. And he looks like he just knows what's going to happen 10 seconds before it happens against Vulcan Ozdemir he is a really fucking crisp striker. If he can get a couple good shots off that get you overreacting and prayer is not immune to that. We've seen that happen to him in kickboxing. We've seen it happen to him in MMA so far. Uh, He's just, it's going to be a task for Frosca to actually hurt prayer on the feet. I'm not acting like it's a guarantee, but if the fight goes five rounds, I would say there's a good like 70% chance that, uh prayer ends up really badly hurt at some point
0: so basically this is uh a light heavyweight fight it's going to be extremely violent and stupid and somebody's probably going to get finished horribly uh i don't know which way you lean in
1: leaning towards prayer getting a good shot off just because like a puncher's chance isn't really what i'd call it i would just say he's I don't know. As much as I'm uh, giving Proska credit, he's so hittable. And it's the guy that's the best at hitting you in the entire division. And it's not like we haven't seen uh, Proska hurt really badly by people much worse than Prayer that don't hit as hard. Or maybe not much worse, but just that don't hit as hard. And, and are also good about
0: worse. He gets hurt in every single fight he's in. You know, he got knocked out by King Mo back in the day purely because he was.
1: If you fight that style enough, eventually you're going to get knocked out by someone that hits hard.
0: Yeah, he like he was on one leg mid-shift and just got blasted with a crisp right straight. You know, very similar shots that sat him down against Vulcan and Dominic Reyes.
1: Got hurt really badly by Glover right before he won. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, with both straight punches and left hooks. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like
1: someone throwing combinations on him when he's moving backwards. And Prera is one of the best in the sport at maintaining his feet in good position and getting combos off on you as you're moving backwards. Mostly because he's he's really long, but also because he has just good placement and uh, good sequencing.
0: Yeah, but this is just like, this is such a volatile matchup that it's really hard to be confident in any kind of pick. But I just can't earn the C. Uh, Prohaska just getting a little too froggy early and Pereira just fucking blasting him with a right straight
1: yeah it's it's a weird one for me to pick as well because I think that if Pereira wins it's a comeback and maybe it's not a good thing to pick someone that you expect to have to win by comeback because I figure the first round Prohaska's probably going to get on top of him for a good bit
0: And it's weird. I, I kind of think if Pereira's going to win it's going to be early I just feel like there's a a surprisingly high chance of that big shot just materializing early in the fight.
1: Oh, and uh, flying knees. Jerry is really flying kneeable. He the way that he moves backward, like he's he's flying kneeable with counter knees. He's just kneeable because he ducks really low, uh, especially when really close, to try and show the takedown and also get himself out of the way of shots. So he can come up with uppercuts or a big hook. But on the back foot, he's incredibly flying kneeable. He gets hit by a couple shots and then immediately drops both of his hands and then, like, turns his head completely away from his opponent and leans back. So, you know, imagine if Glover Teixeira had a good flying knee. He would have just knocked him out instead of getting taken down in the fifth round because he had Jerry bounce into the cage and then duck in to try and grapple with him. So there, just there's so many specific tactical reads that I think that Pereira's going to know going into the fight and just have available at all times. And I think it's, it's really walking on a tightrope trying to get away from that. You're walking on a tightrope trying to avoid all those fucking counters from Pereira. But Prohaska's nuts enough and durable enough to where I think he can take a good shot or two. And also end up in a position where maybe he gets hurt and then he just comes up on a single all fucking goofily and then, like, treetops him, takes him down, because he's a, he's a student of the game. He, he's seen the way that people take down Pereira. If you just force the takedown whenever you're on the back foot and, and you have some space to drive him through, if he can't get to the cage, he's probably getting taken down. He has He's defended, like, a single takedown in his entire UFC run that wasn't... Uh, that he's he's defended maybe one open space takedown in the entire time he's been in the UFC. And Prohaska's probably the biggest guy he's ever fought. Uh, Jan Blo, which is very large, but it just feels like Prohaska's very, like, much larger somehow. He's taller by a little bit, it, it, but he's much longer and i also think he's just a flatly better wrestler cuz people act like he's he's not a grappler at all no he grapples almost all of his uh all of the people that he is allowed to you know he didn't really grapple with vulcan much but it's cuz vulcan's hard to take down if you aren't a great wrestler and he's not a great wrestler he's just pretty good
0: or if you're not, if you're not at least really insistent yeah it, yeah um, And Kuroska's just... not going to hunt it if it's not there no but you know he he used it to kind of weather the storm when he was getting cracked by Dominic Reyes. Uh, you know he did actually beat Clover Tashiro by submitting him in a scramble in a fight where he was probably down.
1: <laughs> and Pereira, despite it not having happened yet, he is really subable in transition. Uh, there's been like fucking fifteen scenarios in his fights where you think, ah oh, fuck, if he's fighting Jacker Manson, he'd be subbed as shit right now.
0: He just hasn't fought anyone who's like particularly good at submissions, other than like you know, Yan Blachowicz has some sneaky subs, but he was just so focused on uh, maintaining position whenever he was able to get Pereira down in that fight that it it just wasn't really a thing that he had to worry about.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think both guys are going to respect each other. So I don't think either guy is just going to get caught with some silly shit because they underestimate their opponent. Brasca, in particular, is, he would never underestimate anyone. You give him a fight against Chris Martino, he's going to take that fight 100% seriously. Uh, and and Pereira is just a consummate professional. There's there's no reason to think that he would take lightly at all. So I'm expecting a great fight out of both guys, but I, I tend to lean Pereira just on the the KO advantage. And also, even if he does get kind of fucked up on the ground for a while, his cardio maintains, and even if he's tired as fuck, he still hits hard, and has good timing, so.
0: Yeah, the accuracy, the timing, the speed.
1: They're both going to be trying to attack the body, I think it's just going to be a lot more successful for Pereira, because the way that Jiri reacts exposes his body even more than his head.
0: As I say, you can't be surprised by literally anything that happens in this fight. Like, would it actually shock you that much if Alex Pereira won by submission?
1: No, he tried to guillotine uh, Jan Blahovich, And it, it wasn't then, but, you know, Jiri's goofy.
0: Just you, you never know with these fucking fights, dude. I mean, it's going to be a bagger. I don't see any way it isn't.
1: I would be equally unsurprised, but kind of amused if Jiri won by knockout immediately or if Pereira won by sub immediately.
0: Okay, so we got this co-main event, uh, interim heavyweight title fight, um, which in all likelihood, whoever wins this fight is probably going to be just the next like, actual defending heavyweight champion. Cause what you really think John Jones is going to come back to fight either of these guys? I don't.
1: They're probably just going to give the belt to one of these guys in the same way they did Robert Whitaker off of having interim belt
0: probably john, john jones is just gonna sit out and then the winner of this fight will fight like cyril garn or some shit and then that'll just be for the undisputed belt and then the whole john jones thing would have been a kind of a dumb flash in the pan that didn't really mean anything but yeah this fight are, there, Christian, are, are either of these guys any good
1: I think they're actually both pretty good. Pavlovich is—he's impressing me with his boxing more and more as his fights go on because he's not just winning by hitting hard; he's—he's he's winning. Isn't he?
0: He's uh, really hard, he,
1: but he's using it well.
0: You know, he—he's he, he surprisingly accurate and quick-handed, and he keeps his eyes on his opponent, and just he throws big old fucking bungalows, and he hits hard as shit. Um I don't know if i would describe much of what he does as like boxing he does big punch
1: he jabs he, he's a jab straight guy he just also hits so hard that he can throw basically anything and it'll fucking murder you i think Ospina also he's almost more likely to get hit hard because he respects the he, like he respects uh pavlovich because he's saying he thinks that Pavlovich is one of the most dangerous guys in the sport, which I don't disagree with. But I think if you're going to a fight giving him that type of credit, then you're probably going to give him a, a few more opportunities than you otherwise should. When I think in a vacuum, if someone told Aspinal, hey, you have 45 seconds to submit this guy or your family dies, he would submit him like 75% of the time. Uh, But I don't expect he's going to have that level of urgency to get the takedown. I think he's going to try and entertain the the striking a little bit more and and try and bait out a huge overthrow from Pavlovich, which isn't that hard to do. Uh, Pavlovich, he just comes in and fuck you up.
0: Has Pavlovich gotten better at uh, defensive wrestling or grappling? Hard to tell. No one's put him on his back since Alistair Overeem just uh, easily took him down and wiped him off of the face of the planet. Uh, Alistair Overeem was really good at doing that.
1: Which makes it hard to to read because he is so good at that that I'm not going to put that against him or as a knock against him.
0: No, I mean, and Sergei Pavlovich, you know, he beat Curtis Blades in a fight where Curtis Blades absolutely shit the bed and didn't even attempt to take down until he had already been hurt on the feet because Curtis Blades will always box with people for a little bit and then just at some point decide to go into wrestling mode with no kind of transition or any way that that plays off of his boxing game as much as he, he's, he's gotten a lot better at boxing, but still not good enough to win just with that against people who want Chris Dorcas or the distant memory of Junior Dos Santos. Anyway. Um, but you know, uh, if, Curtis Blades just had the brain thinking to be like, okay, so I'm going to punch into the clinch with Pavlovich and then just, like, trip him and destroy him from top half. Uh, could he have just, like, done that? Ma- uh, ma- maybe. maybe? I
1: uh, also, th- something weird about this fight is... It, it screams fight that's on paper should guaranteed be a finish, but might just be a, a, a dec- the first decision in either guy's career out of nowhere. Because anytime there's a motherfucker that's like a young veteran, he seems like real skilled and beyond his years, that motherfucker always goes to a decision in their most important fight where they probably could have won by finish. So Aspinall, he might try and be real measured and just outbox him from a distance and... and be too anxious to go for ground and pound or submissions whenever he gets on the ground and just kind of use the ground as a a safe spot to, to wear his opponent out and then just put on a, try and put on a a clean performance that doesn't really amount to a finish because he doesn't come in with the urgency they otherwise normally would. Uh, In the same way, Pavlovich could just scare Aspinall off of all attacking by hitting him really fucking hard in the first round because there's a good chance Aspinall just gets hurt badly and then lames out the rest of the fight because Pavlovich is so fucking scary. I don't, I'm not going to pick it because both guys almost exclusively win in the first round or, or second round. Uh, my actual pick is that it's going to be a shootout in the first two rounds, or and if it goes to a third round, I'd be very surprised. But Aspinall probably wins it most of the time just because he has the grappling edge.
0: Yeah, I think I, I want to lean towards Aspinall because yeah, as you say, grappling edge and um he might just knock him out. Like he's a good boxer too. No, that's the thing. I think he just has the speed edge. Uh he has some defensive ideas and he has really quick hands uh and clearly very respectable power as well. And I just feel like he has more options. You know, he's he is pretty good in the clinch. Um I don't think it's out of the question at all that Tom Aspinall also just goes up to Sergey Pavlovich and just just dunks him in the first exchange and knocks him out. Also don't know how actually good Tom Aspinall's defense is. Uh I, I I'm just I'm I'm still just like waiting for Tom Aspinall to have the most embarrassing performance I've ever seen and completely shit the bed and remind me never to have faith that a heavyweight is going to turn out to be good. Um I think if he loses this fight, that's probably not even what happens. It's probably just like he gets, he just, he just, he just like gets dinged by someone who punches really hard. And it's like, oh yeah, that, that, that happens at heavyweight sometimes, even to the guys who are like actually okay at fighting.
1: Yeah, I, I think people characterize Pavlovich too much as just a guy that hits hard when he's got some crap. He's honestly a bit like Drakus, where he's he's got some crap to him, just shit looks awful. So people think that he isn't a good boxer but he's actually got a good amount of, of craft to it.
0: He at least has good ideas and some kind of process within the batshit bananas reality of being Sergei Pavlovich. I think I think Drikus is a good comparison in that regard.
1: Something we have to pay a little bit of credit to is Tom Aspinall has terrible luck, so the gods might just decide that Tom Aspinall is going to break his knee uh, skittishly running away from big power shots.
0: Because, you yeah, know, maybe, he's had some or maybe that was just, consistent. Has he? That, there, was, there was just that one thing, and, you know, that's just, you know sometimes these things just kind of happen, you know? Most of the time, he's just been kind of kind of just throwing people out the fucking cage because he's so much more athletic than everyone he fights.
1: He's had a good amount of cancelled bouts, not all his fault, but a good amount of cancelled bouts, and then all of his wins somehow managed to make him look good but not tell us anything. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean the Volkov one was particularly crazy because nobody just wipes Volkov out.
1: No, that it was very That, that, out of character that basically for never happened.
0: And um he like did like the coolest transition into a takedown I've ever seen and then submitted him with like some silly shit. It was like a yeah, straight arm lock. On the one hand, extremely impressive, and on the other hand, like, what the fuck is going on? I just like uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and then and then he knocked out Marchine Tibera and in knee injury against Curtis Blades fifteen seconds into the fight.
0: Yeah. Um you know that kind of thing always concerning, but and there's not that much you can take away from the march fight other than for as long as it lasted, he looked absolutely fine. He threw at least one really hard kick with the leg. He fucked up, and he won really easily by knockout against the guy that he was supposed to do that against. It just clearly like didn't uh, compromise his confidence and willingness to go out there and fight the way that he fights. So um, until I see it come up again, I'm just going to like not worry too much about that.
1: He's a very tough guy. I think that he's going to be a fighter that... uh. That some expect to kind of falter if he runs into real, like a real fight. But I don't expect that. I think he's going to prove to be tough because he just seems headstrong and, and like, he's a guy who will be able to weather a storm if someone really is fucking him up. So I give Pavlovich a good chance. Like, I think it's like a 30 70 fight, but I lean pretty heavily towards Aspinall.
0: Yeah, I think Aspinall just has, like, crazy game day confidence and clarity you know
1: got very wide eyes he's always like so aware when he's in the fight and really anxious about everything and always on a hair trigger
0: because you, when you hear him talk he seems like a a quite anxious fighter he he was really surprised that he was getting into big fights at heavyweight so quickly and he was like oh my, am i ready for these guys but it doesn't read like that when he turns up in the cage. That's why I think he's going to be respecting Sergei Pavlovich, but I think that's just going to be him being extremely keyed into things that he wants to do to beat Sergei Pavlovich rather than being skittish about pavlovich's power or overreacting to certain threats i think he's just going to be like no i need to fucking make him overextend and counter this guy yeah i
1: wanted to pay some attention to the possibility that he he like over respects pavlovich and then doesn't fight his best fight but there's also a good chance that he just goes up and puts hands on pavlovich and then takes him down and then fucking stomps him from top because I think that's the play. I think that's the best thing he could do is, you know, jab. Have a couple exchanges where you're just kind of jabbing at each other. Maybe eat a hard jab and then blast a right hands, or, you know, step in real deep with a one-two. Maybe drop him or at least get his hands up and then shoot a takedown. I, I think he's got a, a good amount that he can get done just by going up and hitting him. Because Travovich doesn't have great defense. Uh, he, he just hits hard enough to where it's dangerous to come up and hit him.
0: No, and that's why I'm like still cautious about picking Tom Aspinall, because I do think the fight's going to be a shootout. And, you know, these are two guys who, who do just fucking go out there and put hands on their opponent in the first round. I would be surprised if this ended up being a, a you know, Ngannou Lewis type thing where the big knockout finishers just have way too much respect for each other and it turns out to be a stinker That that's just do you know, that kind of fight is characteristic of Derek Lewis and Francis Ingarnu in a certain way that I don't really think it is for these guys.
1: And uncharacteristic in um, an understandable way
0: for inganu at least.
1: We we have no reason to believe this fight isn't going to be sick for two rounds, uh, and and likely just for one round.
0: Yeah, um, we have no reason to think that if the fight's going to be sick, that either guy isn't going to be getting finished. Um, like, is going to be a shootout, and you know Pavlovich, he hits hard as fucking. He's he just stays dangerous in exchanges. I want to lean more towards Tom Aspinall. I just, I see more flashes of what might actually be a good fighter for heavyweight at Tom Aspinall, and I'd, I'd like it to work out this time, even though uh, it never does.
1: Fully to his credit, he's given every indication that he's able to have given indication of that he is him.
0: Yeah. And, and, and also, even if. We think that Sergei Pavlovich has gotten better at defensive wrestling. I don't really see any reason to expect him to be any better from bottom than he was against uh, Alistair Overeem. Yeah,
1: because Curtis Blades is kind of just a bad wrestler now, <laughs> uh, or at like, least he doesn't wrestle to the point to where him having a win over Blades doesn't tell me that much about Pavlovich's ability to handle a wrestler.
0: Well, no, as I say, particularly if Curtis Blades isn't even going to attempt to t- take down until he's already been hurt and had uh, and is massively overreacting to everything Pavlovich is doing. Like if Pavlovich is firmly in the driver's seat and uh, Curtis Blades has not even established a takedown threat early in the fight, then it's, it's probably not going to work.
1: Yeah, like I, I'm watching the the Blades fight right now, and in the first minute, I've already or in the first 40 seconds, I've already seen three situations where Aspinall really might just shoot for a takedown. And of course, it's a different matchup, but you know, you see Pavlovich eat a really hard right hand by Blades. That's just not as as crisp as the ones that uh that Aspinall is going to be throwing. Like he's eating two hard right hands in the first 50 seconds and Asmanall is a lot better at following up on landing good offense than Blaze is. Pavlovich is willing to chin bully you, though. So if Aspinall doesn't have just the the lights out quickness to actually hurt Pavlovich when he does land, then he could just eat a hard-ass shot and then follow up with his own right hand and then put Aspinall out. Cuz we haven't seen yeah, this kind of Aspinall what I am in, in we we haven't seen too much of Aspinall throwing a combo and defending at the same time. It's normally he just does his defense in a vacuum and then lands a really nice shot. Kind of like Cody Garbrandt. There's a weird amount of similarities between him and Cody
0: Garbrandt. I mean, but most heavyweights really just aren't ready for that next layer. Yeah. So... But, I mean, you know, Pavlovich, he's always going to be there and he's always going to be throwing back fucking bungalows. So not going to be in the least surprised if he just donks Tom Aspinall in the first round. I'd say it's I'd I'd say it's like 60-40 at best. I think that's fair. um, Mackenzie Dern fighting Jessica Andrade would have been a sick fight if Jessica Andrade didn't seem to be um, suddenly incapable of winning fights.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I called it out for the Lauren Murphy fight because. You did? Uh, I was saying, oh, yeah, she shot. And people were like, what are you talking about, Christian? How is she shot? She she just won by, like, 30 22. Uh, it, was, it was a huge shit kicking. I'm like, yeah, but it's Lauren Murphy. She didn't finish Lauren Murphy. She shot. And then she just proven me right a bunch, which I'm not happy about. I do not want her to be shot, but she is. Uh, and this is a fight against someone. That's a little bit of Aaron Blanchfield, a little bit of Tatiana Suarez, but a lot of about to submit Andraj after either getting dropped or falling over in fear of a punch. I, I think Andraj is gonna overthrow a huge hook and Mackenzie Dern is going to cower in fear and accidentally like fall on her ass and then uh like butterfly sweep her into a helicopter armbar, some stupid shit.
0: Yeah, probably. Uh, I don't know. Mackenzie Dern was fucking out for blood against Angela Hill. What if she just like knocks Jessica Andrade out?
1: Maybe she. You'd think is gonna be huge, but I don't know. She's she's gotten dinged by people that aren't particularly huge lately.
0: Yeah, and like Mackenzie Dern was doing good work with step knees against Angela Angela Hill. And Jessica Andrade is uh, small and ducks down a lot and got dropped with a step knee by Rose Namajunas in the first fight, um, but. You know, Mackenzie Dern has no defense. There's always that chance that Jessica Andrade just blasts her in the fucking mouth and knocks her out. Um, so This fight was like two years ago. I think I would like very confidently pick Jessica Andrade yeah, knock would, out on the feet. I would have no
1: question, but now I think Dern beats her kind of any time.
0: Easily horse Dern around and push her into the cage and punch her in the body. But she's just looked so completely in the mist in her last few performances that I just um, need to see her actually be able to win a fight to believe that she can again.
1: Yeah, and Dern has looked a lot better lately. Uh, she's improved quite a bit as a striker.
0: She's dangerous as fuck. You know, it's not, you know, if Jessica Andrade was fighting like Ashley Yoda, I'd be like, okay, okay, yeah, she got this. But <laughs> like, you know, Dern, she's not like. A good striker, but she can, like, hit you now. <laughs> she can, she she's learned to, like, punch. She, she she can throw hard punches without doing a flip or falling over.
1: Yeah, and she's, uh, she's noodly, but she's not weak. She just tries not to rely on her power at all, or, or rely on her strength at all which just doesn't work out and then eventually she'll get to a point where like this is fucking annoying i'm just gonna like i'm gonna hoss him to the ground a little bit because once a fight she's able to hoss someone to the ground and then every other time she's like oh what if i'll just like pull guard or i'll like sag on your neck and then try and take your back
0: well when I mean, she's just so dangerous in transitions and in like you know weird positions you know what if when jessica Andrade. Uh, overthrows the big stupid right hand she just instantly gets guillotined or something
1: yeah also a big possibility uh, i think i just don't trust Andrage to be able to defend submissions anymore no because she's never been immune to being submitted she just, just always seemed strong enough to where she would just bulldoze her way out of it or fuck you up enough to where you don't really get an opportunity to, but Dern's going to be on her ass really aggressively if, if she doesn't, or if, uh, just doesn't do a good job of being disciplined about not letting her hips get uh shot in on or not letting her back get taken off of her massive overthrows that she does every single fight. Like, Andrade is not a great game planner. She just has some tricks that tend to work, and she does better against people who are volume boxers than she does against people that are more single-shot fighters. And Dern, she's mostly, like, a a single power shot into a weird clinch exchange that ends in a grappling scenario-type fighter than she is a a volume boxer.
0: Yeah, just... It's, It's just not looking good for Jessica Andrade which is sad. She's just like one of the coolest action fighters in uh, WMMA ever. She's had so many awesome fights. And uh, I'd like really like to see her at least like show up in this one, you know? Um, okay, so we've got uh, Benoit Sandini versus Matt Favola. I think it's fair to say that Benoit Sandini is enough of a thing at this point that we can start calling him BSD.
1: Yeah. I think that's fair. I'm still gonna call him Benoit Saint because it feels nice. Like it, it just—it's just a nice name to say. Uh, it is. But I think that he is good. I just don't think he is so good that he's not about to get knocked out horribly by Matt Frivola. It feels like a bit of—it's a, <laughs> a bit of a mirror match to me because they're both guys that hit really hard. Except Matt Frivola is a dude who got chin checked before Benoit Saint really got chin checked
0: uh like, i mean you say that ben while sandini got chin checked in his debut against yeah uh, but it's up
1: a class and he didn't get finished and also should have been finished so it's hard to be like, like give him credit for a fight that he like lost super hard and also was functionally finished in if the referee wasn't out to get him
0: but you know what I do give a BSD, I'm calling him that now, a credit for from that performance is he got handed uh, one of the most hideous ass whoopings you could ever see on live television by a uh, Zaleski Dos Santos, and you, you know probably got 10 ten sevens like twice, and that didn't change anything about how he approached his opponents in his fights moving forward because he was like, I am a fucking lunatic. I pressure people and impose my size and power.
1: I think it probably made him more sure of his shin.
0: He just, he stays on people. He, he's just always looking to pressure and extend every exchange and just make your life fucking miserable. Whether it's just like constantly working to the body or constantly pressing into like grappling situations, you know, he's fucking huge for lightweight and, um, you know, he has a bonkers chin and he knows it. And, you know, he was just walking through clean right right hands from Tiago Moises. Didn't put him off in the slightest. You know, he just rolled up on uh, Ishmael Bonfim, just body kicked him like 20 times. Yeah. Matt Frivola, also a lunatic, uh, kind of actually a pretty good counter puncher these days. Um, Like actually like willing to take the back foot and draw people onto shots and as found some kind of wacky power that I never really noticed that he had early in his UFC run, but you know, dude just knocked out Drew Dober. Um Benoit Sandini's going to get to pressure, but, and he, he's, he definitely has power, but I don't think he's the kind of hitter that has historically just rolled up on Matt Favola and just blasted him in the mouth once and killed him. Um, he's going to walk into a big counter like left hook or something from Matt Favola that, We'll see what happens. You know, Benoit Sandini, I expect him to be around for a while as a contender at lightweight, but he's going to get horribly knocked out at some point fighting with this style. And I think even the people who are hyped for him and his prospects in this division are like well aware of that.
1: Yeah, I'm picking him to get knocked out and then go on to get better from the experience. But I do think he's gonna get knocked out. This is the first guy he's fighting that's genuinely good at it, at knocking people out in the pocket because everyone else has is a terrible pocket threat, like not even really a worry in the pocket for most people that are competent in the pocket. And they've all been like uh, hitting him hard enough to where people are talking about his chin. There's a reason that every single one of Ben Wasandi's last four fights people have been like, "Oh my god, it's Shin's crazy." He's getting dinged really bad by guys that aren't particularly big hitters or good in the pocket, at least. Tiago Moises is a terrible finisher and doesn't really even attack much in the pocket.
0: No, he has he has that good right hand in the first layer. Yeah, and that's like it. He's a and he's a in, counter and
1: was... puncher and has good jab.
0: Or, like, he jabs yeah, you out. But as long as, but as long as Sandini could just eat that shot and just like stay in the next layer of the exchange, Tiago Moises just wasn't going to do anything other than back himself into the cage and just get his ass beat. Matt Fravola, he's going to play with the rhythm as you enter. He's going to like grab, ties, try and like catch you on exits on an off rhythm.
1: Also, probably going to meet fire with fire and try and pressure.
0: I don't know, I just, I think looking at how Matt Frivola has approached the two big punch guys who, who he knocked out in his last couple of fights in Drew Dober and Artem I think he's probably going to be like, yo, this guy's just going to try and roll up on me and hit me, and I'm just going to let him.
1: Counterpunch him and, and be able to take a shot. Benoit's grappling is one thing that I'm seeing people
0: think is going to fuck up Frivola, but Frivola
1: hasn't really shown too much vulnerability to a good grappler in his last several fights. So no, I
0: mean he got he he got beaten by Armand Sarukian.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna have to see a lot more out of Benoit Sandini before I think that he reliably fucks up someone as good as Frivola on the ground. Because so far he's he's kind of just out hustled people that are hustleable in the grappling, more so than he's shown uh, like a profound level of skill in that in that realm.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, Ishmael Bonfim and Thiago Moises. Are both like decent, well-rounded fighters and good grapplers. But they're both pretty reactive. They both have a tendency to kind of let their opponents set the tone of the fight and respond to that. And even if Matt Fravola is taking the back foot on in this fight, I think he's just going to be doing that in a way that commands more initiative by popping Benoit with with, with a jab as he's trying to. Uh, pressure in and being ready to counter Benoit Sandini as he uh, tries to extend exchanges. Also, wouldn't you know be the craziest thing in the world to see Matt Frivola just get overwhelmed and get the success that he needs, but it not be enough and then he just gets taken down and gets ground on?
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a good chance Benoit wins. I don't think it's a, a hugely lopsided fight. I'm just expecting,
0: no, not from, at all, I just, to, um, to get the dusting off weirdly uh, leaning towards for in this fight
1: yeah also i think benoit sandini has been pretty lucky to have the fights that have fallen through for him fall through like christos giagos and joe selecki because i think both of them would have made him his grappling look kind of shit they may have not you know outright beaten him on the ground but i think that they would have made him look like he's not a guy that can win fights with grappling against good fighters Because it's mostly just been him beating the fuck out of someone on the feet or overwhelming them after eating all of their best power shots and then grappling with them or grappling with them to kind of wear them out so that they can't fuck him up as hard. But Fravola, he, he could just get a shot put on him and then uh, like, have him try and enter in on a takedown and then just shrug him off and then have, uh, have Benoit send a knee against the fence and then just tool him. To me, it's just any time a guy that gets hit really hard every single fight, if he fights his first pocket threat, I'm going to expect the pocket threat to actually knock him out this time. Because Benoit, to this point, has a pretty weak record when it comes to people that actually hit hard. And everyone is always applauding how good his chin is. After the fight, it's like, okay... Yeah, your, your chin looks great against four dudes that finish no one.
0: Okay, yeah, so... Uh, main card opener, Pat Sabatini versus Diego Lopez. Uh, real grapplers-paradise matchup. Really the two big, like, jiu-jitsu prospect guys at featherweight. Uh, Pat Sabatini, more of a traditional, like... You know, he just wants to press into the clinch to hit trips into top half and then like work that threat of the pass to side control to, and and play that off of the arm triangle and the back take. But you know, he's an opportunistic submission threat from all positions as well. He obviously uh, exploded Jamal Emma's knee with a filthy heel hook and Diego Lopez is just a fucking maniac on the ground. Uh, He's just, he's just all about attacking submission from any position of, fucking uh triangle armbar that he hit on Gavin Tucker was fucking slick as shit. Um I don't really know how I expect this fight to go. It's just going to be a sick scramble fest. If they kickbox for any length of time, I want my fucking money back.
1: I I think they're probably going to end up striking for at least the first couple minutes. Uh Diego Lopez has had uh, I I'm looking at his record. and I was surprised to see that he's had a grappling match against Nathan Orchard, which he lost by armbar, of course, because Nathan Orchard is uh, really good at jiu-jitsu, at jiu-jitsu. But I don't hold that against an MMA fighter. Like he he was training jiu-jitsu as a way to make his MMA career progress a bit more. And his whole thing is just having real weird, uh, kind of old school grappling, where it's a lot of stuff off his back.
0: I mean, he hit every submission in the book on Molfsar of Lua. <laughs>
1: Yeah, man. Uh, Pat Sabatini is probably going to give him opportunities to go for submission uh, attempts. I just, th- I think Pat's probably going to be. Uh, I think he's probably just going to be okay and like maintain top position. Then win a three round decision where it looks like Diego Lopez uh, would win by submission if the fight went twenty rounds. But uh, I could be wrong. He-, he might just get the submission, or Sabatini might just beat the shit out of him and submit him.
0: Yeah, I mean Diego might just give up a. An awful position, just going for something wonky as shit, and Sabatini's just like, "I will right, we'll just take the sub then, or as you say, just hold top position and win rounds because probably not just going to get submitted with some fuck shit." And Lopez
1: has gotten pretty tired in his last uh, in his last loss. Uh, I, I I don't see him as a guy that's ungroundoutable. He could get very tired and then just end up in a bad position and, and start getting fucked up by Patton and subbed. So, so that is about it for the card. I mean, there's other fights that are interesting, like Nazim Sajikov versus Vishal Aborheb, but we'll just let you enjoy that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I hope Jared Gordon wipes Mark Madsen out. That'd be cool. Like Kyung Ho Kang versus John Castaneda I'm sure will be up anger.
1: Yeah, Tabitha Ricci versus the Lupita Godinez, also pretty fun. We got Roosevelt Roberts back. Uh, Joshua Van, who, uh, you know, I I like the guy, but he's a bit of an asshole because he got uh, our guy, Zalgazuma Gulov, kicked out of the UFC. Yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah, bye.